0: Welcome to Australian Hunger, I am your host Ben, and on today's show I interviewed Emily Highfield, woman behind Melbourne band Saldusk, whose debut album, Luna Falls, is out now. This was really exciting because she's been on my list ever since the show started. I was aware that she was working on an album, and it finally came out, and I got an opportunity to talk to her, and that was really exciting, because basically, her music is right up my lane. I mean, Agalock. Neo folk, black metal, that kind of stuff. I mean, it's basically my ideal form of music, or at least one of the, one of the, one type of my ideal form of music. So that soon, before we get there, I want to talk briefly about a band called Batyushka. and I don't know entirely if I pronounced that right. I've tried to kind of look it up oh, ages ago when I was trying to get their name right in my head because. They're Polish, and I've got no idea, but that's that's about as close as I think I'll ever get. The reason I'm talking about them is, unfortunately, there's two current versions of the band. One contains a founding member and guitarist, and the other is led by their former vocalist, if you consider that founding member and guitarist band the legitimate band. So apparently the vocalist-led one has been ordered to stop by a Polish court, but despite that, they're going ahead with a release through Metal Blade, the Guitar led one has just released a new track. So th- there have been many circumstances in which bands are going on two different tracks based on two different sets of members. I don't think I've ever seen one which is going so clearly side-by-side, parallel, where both are cl- actually working on music, which is going to be <laughs> released, which is really odd, but it's, it's kind of sad to see these splits, these divisions between members. And though not all as extreme as this, we do see a lot of disagreements, clashes between members of bands, and it's really sad to see because I guess it's inevitable because people that are passionate and creative are going to have these kind of clashes if their visions don't quite meld, but it is sad because these people theoretically, the union of their their, their consciousness, their, their creative potential, is what really generates things that we enjoy. And it's unfortunate to see them not get along, or at least not continue to put out creative music in the way that we really want to see. You know, obviously bands split up, members quit. You know, there's good reasons for that. When, but when members are continuing to put out music, but they have to split up and they're just basically working on the same thing, that is quite a sad thing to see. Uh, it's really unfortunate, but not not surprising. I really hope we can at least see some productive output out of this, like their debut Little Gear, um, which is really a stunning combination of religious music and extreme metal. Something, another kind of thing that's really up my track, um, those kind of tones combined with extreme metal. So, I don't know, but that's definitely something to keep an eye out for. Um, I haven't listened to the track that it released, actually, because I tend not to do that. But it's definitely something I'm excited for. Their debut is, is stunning. It combines those two types of music in a way that I haven't seen that much of, and I think that really has a lot of potential. If I was a better musician, that's basically something that I'd be doing. I mean, let's be honest, it's something I have tried <laughs> and failed at. But anyway, so Emily Highfield. I um, had a really good chat with her about uh, the band. One of the really interesting things about doing some research and talking to her is kind of her background. Um, came from not necessarily the background that you would expect. She was in a thrash metal band. And, you know, given sort of like we always create these kind of ideas of bands which we don't quite have concrete knowledge about. Um, you know, we imagine that this is something they've always been passionate about. So it's something that always is interested in them. But no, it's, it's something that she sort of come to subsequently um, after a kind of musical journey had begun, the sort of desire to create this sort of music. Her album, Luna Falls, really, really interesting. If you kind of, you like um, something which is not really metal in itself, but kind of has all the feels of metal in a, a kind of acoustic-y, uh, really folk-influenced package, this, this is definitely something for you. Um, they're also going to be supporting El in Melbourne this Sunday on the 18th. Um, I, I could think of no kind of better combination of bands which mer- merge folk and metal. Um, so the tracks that I play during the interview are Solar Sipsy, don't know if I'm pronouncing that one quite right, but <laughs> aphasia and catacombs. This is Emily Highfield. So I wouldn't kind of go back to the beginning, kind of get a feel for you as more of a musician, then we'll slowly transition into Soul Dust then the album. Um, so this is kind of like the music you play, and I don't want to nail it down too much, but it's kind of like a, a category of music. There are a bunch of bands which sort of play in sort of styles which you'd kind of associate with the music you're playing. When do you kind of get into this type of music?
1: I've always had a, a um, an affinity with the darker, melancholy style of music. And um, I think just delving into, like, depressive... It's, su- it's such a horrible name for a genre, but depressive, suicidal, black metal. <laughs> you know? It's just, uh, like, heavy... Stuff into emotionally and I've also been a metalhead all my life. So it's, it's just a natural way to, you know, get into that darker flavour but just give it your own style, your own your own um, touch. So that's kind of what, yeah, but it's always been uh, the darker side of music for me. It's not the happy stuff, although I do enjoy all sorts of music but, you yeah, know, getting into that, I think bands like Austere, and Agaloch, um, who are more kind of, um, I've heard the word described, bucolic folk kind of metal, which is more about nature and stuff like that. So um, those themes and those sounds just, I don't know, just got me. So, yeah, that's how I ended up doing this project.
0: When did you start playing guitar and, and why did you stick with it?
1: Um, I started when I was about 15 and uh, I had a terrible acoustic given to me and it had a really high action and really hard to get a lot of those chords you know especially when you're learning and you get stuck on F but I, I ploughed through and man if I can learn that guitar I can learn <laughs> any
2: guitar
1: so um, I yeah just started then and, and I put it aside for a while because I've always been a vocalist as well and I had various bands where I was just doing vocals but I don't know, I just love the fact that I can go to a guitar and I don't have to do anything, it just helps me get to that feeling in a a way that your voice kind of doesn't, and the voice is more of a a lead instrument so having a guitar is just, yeah, it's just wonderful
0: Mm, And sort of bouncing off that, when when do you start singing?
1: Uh, I think uh, the memory I have, the strongest memory of singing was, and realizing the power of the voice was when I was in a choir. I was chosen to be in a choir as a quite a young little kid in a pretty poor socio-economic public school, but they still had a choir. God bless them. <laughs> so that was it was cool to be chosen with the big kids, and I went in there and. Um, I just loved when everything went into a three-part harmony. Just the frequencies just made my, my hair stand on end. And I just kind of went, wow, that's, that's very powerful. I don't know what this feeling is, but it's, it's a really good one. And that's when I, I think I got addicted to just exploring sounds with the voice.
0: Mm, mm, that's really really cool I mean yeah it's so important to have sort of early arts education for for children kind of to foster that early sort of understanding that you know it can be an important part of their lives
1: I think so and I think for me just growing up in a turbulent house like so many of us do it was just a, a, a natural again another affinity like straight into that world what is this world and it just helped me get into that
0: Let's talk a little bit about Soul dusk. um So I was kind of going through the Facebook, trying to get a feel of the band, feel of kind of the early history of the band. Talk a little bit about how, you know, your sort of, I don't know, early moves into that kind of space of music and how Soul dusk formed.
1: Yeah. Well, I've always been a metalhead, traditional metal, especially thrash metal. I just always loved it. But um, I think I put that aside for a bit and... When I did other things. And there was a terrorist attack uh, in France, and a lot of music lovers got killed, murdered. And it just kind of, I don't know, it just triggered me to just pick up my guitar again. I didn't know what to do with the feelings. I was just frustrated because for me, music's such a sacred space. And I don't know, that's, I mean, so many terrorist attacks happen all over the world. They happen every day. But that one particularly just got to me. And I, Yeah, I started composing and putting stuff on SoundCloud and people started responding to it from around the world and just experimental stuff, but always acoustic, darker flavours. And the metal started creeping in and the metal influenced, not the traditional metal, but more the heavier themes. And people started saying to me, oh, you sound a bit like um, Chelsea Wolfe, I didn't even know who Chelsea Wolfe was, and um, Marissa Nadler, and I started doing more of that um, singer-songwriter, darker stuff, but then I started playing um, a lot of Agaroff sort of reminiscent feeling of, of that sort of thing because I wanted to make it bigger and a little bit more epic, Not just a personal, you know, isolated personal expression. It was more, I love the way they incorporate the person, the intimate and the epic. And I think that was something that I wanted to do. And, And also making connections with very underground, one man black metal composers, very underground. And they were very active. It's a very active, thriving scene on SoundCloud. People who just do it for the purity of, expression and they really inspired me and I started working with one guy called Skigef Figura, his real name is Brian Murphy, <laughs> but that's his persona and we just we just um, clicked musically and would swap ideas and he, he just had mad acoustic chops and I just went wow, that's just amazing, like beautiful arpeggiated strings and yeah, it was. that's kind of how it emerged. And then I started delving more into that. And I was listening to a lot of atmospheric black metal, a lot of the third wave stuff, which is very washed out vocals. Um, and I knew that I needed to take it. I needed to expand it. I didn't want to just do clean vocals. I, and I did it back in the olden days. Um, in my thrash days, I would be experimenting with a lot of the harsh vocals as well. So, I came back to that, but in a different way and and yeah, here we are
0: mm mm-hmm. Where the name Soldusk f- come from?
1: Um, I wanted something original just that that way it wouldn't clash with anything else, but I wanted the sounds to be almost um, reminiscent of certain words, so I guess um, soul is. Soul, the closest thing to soul, and then dusk. Well, we know what dusk is. <laughs> and uh, when I did a, a Google, I uh, came across one obscure reference to um, it was uh, Dungeons and Dragons reference to um, a lost tribe of elves. So I liked that idea of the um, the lost tribe of wild elves, and also the idea of dusk as being um, just that time of day which is between light and dark. And I think that's why I like to play with sound-wise and that's something that's fascinating. It's also a time of transience as well. So you're going into something different. So I just, I don't know, all those things kind of, those words, those sounds meant something. So, yeah, that's the deeper meaning behind it.
0: You released an EP, um, Vestige of Purest Light, back in 20, uh, 2017 with uh, a name you can pronounce far better than I can. a <laughs> hard did... one. Yeah. Yes, you did it, yeah. When did this album start to take shape?
1: Um, so, yes, he and I um, collaborated on that. And in the meantime, I'd been working on a few songs. I'd been playing live with another acoustic Guitarist, and we've just been shaping a few songs, uh, a few compositions, and I just kind of evolved them with through demos, just trying to find the right sound. I knew I didn't want to just have acoustic; I definitely wanted to heavy it up a little bit, and um, that's kind of how how they emerged. They 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 happened pretty quickly, and they they are just, I think they're they're great for what they were and. Yeah, I'm excited about changing it up a little bit for the next album, but I'm very happy with those songs that emerged for this album. And I think there's a cohesion there. I didn't plan there to be, but I think there seems to be some fluidity between the tracks and and there's a common theme throughout them. So that actually, actually worked out really well.
0: Mm-mm. Yeah, there's a nice sort of push and pull behind the like sort of heavier elements, especially on the last track, and then some more sort of really laid back, more purely acoustic tracks on the album as well.
1: Yeah, I think it was it was good. It was a good starting point, and it's a good it's a good um, base from which to work the newer ideas that I've got. So, yeah, it was in me. I had to kind of get the the more um, stripped back. Side, that's that's really authentic to what I want to express and and what I've got to offer, you know. But moving forward from that, yeah, it's it's exciting because it's music that I wanted to hear, you know. When I want to stream something, I, I want to hear something similar to this sort of sound. So it's awesome to know that, you know, that that, that you dig your own music, you know. <laughs> so it's kind of important. So to try and write something that, that you want to listen to, is, I think it's kind of imperative.
0: Talk a little bit more in detail about your writing process. Like you either have a track or you're trying to come up with a new track. Like how do you sort of start that or, or push it forward, sort of make it something more than it was?
1: Yes, I think with the writing process, it, it's not I'm going to write a song now and you sit down and you write it through. For me, it's not like that. For me, it's usually I've got my interface ready to go and if, I, if an idea just occurs to me, either my phone, if I don't have my laptop with me, or I go straight into the into the laptop and catch a, a feeling that a wrist is emitting. So that's kind of how it usually starts. And then I'll have a few of those on the go and come back to them and flesh them out. Sometimes it just all kind of, Unfolds, and then sometimes you want to you want to extend it, you want to push it, you want to change it. So there's a bit more manipulation involved, but yeah, more often than not, it's trying to capture that. that you know, you you got to know if, if a riff's a keeper or not, and if it moves you in some way. So that's my kind of brief to myself, I guess, to to look out for. You know, it's great to strum, but It's got to do something. (laughs) Mm
0: -mm. Are there particular moods or settings that you find kind of brings out um, sort of music in you?
1: Um, I think with my style, what I've always gravitated to is the more melancholy side and anger and sadness are very interlinked. So those emotions are um, I think where I find it most natural to express. And also, you know, a lot of the post metal, post rock stuff that I listen to, there's always like a little bit of poignancy involved. Like, it's like you, it's a feeling of uh, you know what the truth is, but you don't really want to know. <laughs> and you kind of don't want to accept it. And it's, it's that sort of tension. I, li- I like that space, you know, that feeling and capturing that sort of bittersweet feeling and that's kind of what I wanted to explore a little bit further going into the next album but definitely sadness and definitely elements of, not I wouldn't say anger but just being able to express some sort of, I don't know, authentic feeling.
0: One thing that I think really suits the album well and it's not necessarily something that you have to use is the um, the, ch- the cello um, that's used throughout the album. Talk a little bit about why you decided to include that.
2: The
1: cello has always been one of those instruments that I I don't know. It's the frequencies. It, they're just in that in that um, the deeper frequencies where it's I don't know. There's no other instrument you can compare it to, in my opinion. Um, And it's just a very moving instrument. When it's played well, it's just incomparable. So it was always a bit of a a dream to incorporate, especially one of my favourite cellists, who's Francesca Mountford. She's a Melbourne cellist who plays sort of more um, avant-garde, darker-flavoured style of music. And I'd heard her solo stuff, and it was a bit of a dream. And, And when I was... Writing the material, I always kind of hoped that it would manifest in, you know, having the cello on there, and there was a frequency for it, and yeah, when I started working with her and explaining to her and played her the music, she just found it very easy to to write to that, so I was super happy about that. <laughs>
0: uh, I mean, uh, one of my sort of favourite kind of cello songs, and maybe a bit pedestrian, is... Um uh, I think it's the on the mantle of the great cold death of the earth by Agaloc. Just the, I think the, the cello kind of perfectly complements the music and sort of adds that very thick, thick tone to it.
1: That's so true, Ben. And I, I know the the track that you're referring to. I think it's um, oh, which track is it? Oh, it's the it's one of the yeah. It's definitely off the mantle, but. It's the one that they have that cello. And, and that was that was definitely an inspiration as well. That was, uh, yeah, that was a mind-blowing track. It was always, it just, I think Agalock really opened my ears to the possibilities of that style of music. And to, yeah, I think by u- utilising a cello on this recording, it was kind of revisiting that and wanting to honour that
0: Sort of uh, uh, looking at the sort of thematic, lyrical side of the album, talk a little bit about how you approach that.
1: Uh, The lyrics seem to always be more secondary, I think because the music is what seems to capture the feeling and then I think by the writing of the lyrics, it's more about fleshing out that feeling and for me, there's always... I don't know, I gravitate to using a lot of nature analogies or metaphors or visuals. I don't know what you want, what you want to call them, but I find nature very inspiring and it's just a really um, familiar, secure, safe space for me and I, I love to use those, those images
0: Hmm, um, so we're both from the, the for anyone outside of the country um, we're both from the state of Victoria which has um, you know some sort of beautiful coastline but also some beautiful um, sort of forests as well are there any particular places in Victoria or maybe outside of Victoria that kind of, I don't know uh, particular interest, particular importance to you?
1: Very much, I live close to the Yarra River and um, even though it's you know, by European standards, you know, <laughs> they claim our river's muddy and dirty. I love the the dirty muddiness of it. I don't like the pollution side of it and that that really edges me out. I'm I'm get very upset about the the pollution that would cause the river through the city areas. But um any chance I get I will be down at the Yarra and just have a listen to the wildlife and the bird life there is insane. It's wonderful. And we also get the fruit baths at night and during the certain seasons and um I also love Torquay. i 'm a little bit of a surfer I, I love going playing in the waves i 'm a terrible surfer though, but I love being in the water and there's um, surf coast is a place i I just cannot get sick of. I just love going there every chance i get and the mountains the mountains I love Don Valley and just Hillsville up around Dandenongs. To Saffras and all those places, going on trail walks when I can. I don't get out there much now, but it's definitely a place, yeah, of um, grounding. Yeah. Very, mm. very important.
0: <laughs> what well, one other thing that I think crops up quite a bit um, in terms of imagery in your, uh, your your lyrics is light, the sky, and, and celestial bodies. Talk a little bit about why though, is a kind of imagery that you like to utilize. Um, I,
2: I
1: think I think nature and our, our earthly beauties are you know, nature's beauties are just they're just a touchstone for me. They're just a reminder of of no matter what taints your life, what no matter what grinds surrounded you, there is that that untouched, raw cycle of nature and nature's harsh as well. And just to, to accept that and to to see it for the transient beauty that it is. Although trees are pretty amazing. And, <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it's just being in, I mean, I know the Japanese, they call it um, forest bathing, you know, and it's so true because you, you can sit for even 15, 20 minutes just to, around trees and plants and there's just such a, I don't know, there's such a power in that and, and the peace and the tranquility that that can give us as humans and we forget to connect with that. And, um yeah, so the nature, part of nature in our world is also, yeah, celestial bodies, the moon, I'm a little bit attuned to the moon. I don't know if it's a female thing, but... I always notice where the moon is, uh, and you know the power of the moon. And the word lunatic comes from moon. Did you know that, Ben?
0: <laughs> I did.
1: And there's a reason for it because uh, human behaviour is somewhat altered during a full moon. They say, I, and I'm not sure how, but something about water and the tides is linked into that, and how it affects our bodies. But it's there's definitely a, a, a force that we don't know much about, but I'm definitely in tune with with where the moon is at. So I don't know how it permeates into the music, but it's there.
0: Specifically about some of the songs on the album, uh, and I apologise if I butcher some of the pronunciation, but I, I tend to do that.
2: Um, uh, so feel free to butcher
0: away. <laughs> so drogue or drogu or
1: no? Would you believe it's just
0: drogue that one? Oh, cool! I got it the first time. Um, so that was featured on Vestige of Purest Light, your EP. Um, what? What? Uh, there was the three songs on there. Why did you want to include that um, from the EP onto the oh. album?
1: That was the first song that Brian sent me that I just went, wow, that's super special. And it was just, it moved me, you know, that thing I was saying about it's got to move you and make you feel something. And I could just hear the theme and it just resonated. Uh, And then uh, he sent me a couple more, and it was again, it was the same sort of theme, you know, being the outsider, being on the edges of society and um, or like being ambivalent about humans you know on one hand you I guess you're a betrayed idealist and yeah the theme is pretty much uh, black metal traditional black metal is very much misanthropic but I think that's born out of anger and frustration and there's definitely a, a bit of that in the themes that I explore as well. Because humans are capable of such goodness, but it seems evil evil reigns the land.
0: Sovereign Shrine's last track is the longest and heaviest song on the album. Talk a little bit about that one, um, sort of why, and it's a bit longer, and sort of your your approach to it in terms of kind of incorporating a more I don't know heavier metal approach um, at the end of the song.
1: Um, Sovereign Shrines was the last song we tracked. It it just started off. I just wanted to um, start it off. It wasn't even a conscious thing. It just made me feel better. Just playing with those chords. It just made me feel good. And then the little breakdown in the middle it was just so so good to to slow it down and just slow the pace and the feeling. And then to build it up again towards the end and be able to. I guess to me the visuals more about um, a journey that someone goes through and the start of it is meandering and and just going from place to place and then the, the middle section is more about standing still, looking around, seeing what's what and then the last section is more about embracing where you are and embracing your own power and goodness and I think it's where, yeah, that sort of <laughs> a little bit of indignation in the last section where I think the the, the idea is sovereign shrines is that is that untouchable side side to every human being that it is hopefully in most humans, but of course I know that it's not. But it is it can be in there, and I think that's just a reminder. And I think what I wanted to go into with that, and yeah, it was it was awesome to it just felt right to have layers of guitars and to have the harsh vocals and to have the crone on the mountain you know just (laughs) just telling it like it is so it was that's kind of I guess the the theme behind it and it was it was a lot of fun it's a lot of fun to play and I can't wait to do it electric because we've been doing it acoustically so far but I cannot wait to to get those guitar layers out and the full kit and very exciting.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, last song I want to ask you about, the elm. Um, it's an adaptation of another song. Why were you drawn to that song, and, and what's the story behind you wanting to uh, adapt it for the, for the elm?
1: I heard "Thinking Ships" on, I think it was SoundCloud, and it was someone doing a cover of it, and I, I just loved it. And then I, I delved into uh, the Trees of Eternity and listened to. The Hour of the Nightingale, and I just fell in love with that album. I, I loved the the vocal, the vocal performance. was just so real and, and genuine and soft and, and intense at the same time, and the instrumentation was just perfect for that feeling. Then I found out that Alia Starbridge had passed away, and it was just as the album was getting released. And I just, again, I just didn't know what to do with that feeling of frustration and, and the injustice of it. Someone so talented, creative with just, I mean, this first album is a legacy of hers, but I know she would have had so much more in her. And just for that to be taken away, it was just so, it was devastating to see. And I, I just thought maybe I'll just pick up my guitar and just, see if I can maybe do um an, an epilogue I guess to it uh, uh, you know just to it's not finished yet I wanted to kind of keep that feeling going and to honor her and the album is actually dedicated to her so she inspires me because I every time I think and I would think during the process because it took very long time to get this album out and many times I would look at my picture of her I've got her around my desk area and I would look at her and just think you know she's not here to keep going and I'm not going to whinge about these silly problems you know and challenges so I'm just going to keep going and yeah I had to dedicate it to her because that that was the that was a common theme throughout the whole process
0: Mark Helson of The Eternal, who I actually have interviewed as well, um, he worked on the album. Talk a little bit about how you got involved with him.
1: I've always admired Mark as a performer and composer. And then I found out that uh, he was a producer. And when I was ready to start working with a producer, um, as soon as his name uh, appeared before me, I I just went, wow, okay, I think this is the right person because he would understand the aesthetic I was going for and I think I was right because he just knew, he just had the experience, the professionalism and I could convey things to him, like certain things were concepts and then together we would work them out and it was just a very easy working relationship and he totally understood it.
0: So I've seen you play live twice, um, and I'm looking forward to seeing you play live in a an electrolyte version. Um, but during those performances, you played a song that's, you know, uh, dear to my heart, just for a moment by Austere, a cover of, uh, of that Austere song. Why, why did you choose that song?
2: Uh,
1: I think, like like a lot of the fans, you know, of that song, it, it just there's something about it that is just so authentic and... It's just a genuine, I don't know, I, I would perform it in rehearsals with my acoustic people and they they would just enjoy it. It's not an overly complicated in, instrumentally song, but it's all about feeling. And every time we'd play it, it we just felt good afterwards. <laughs> Even though it's such a sad kind of face. it just feels so cathartic, you know, it's that old, it's that old, you know, saying it's like better out than in and it was one of those songs and we had so much fun playing it at rehearsal that I said to the to the other musicians, you know, how about we do this live? and yeah, I think the crowd always seemed to respond to it and, and Tim Yatris and I have spoken um over the um a Facebook Messenger and um I've collaborated with him on something recently. And he's just a real inspiration and, and hero. So, <laughs> so to you know, when I, we actually got in, in touch when I asked him permission to perform the song because that's one of the things that that is, is a little bit uh, disappointing at the moment. There's like a few allegations on YouTube that I plagiarised the elm, and I would never steal another artist's work, and especially not. not not do it without their permission and I was very lucky that Yuha uh, from Swallow the Sun who was in Tree's Eternity you when know, I asked him for permission he, he not only did he give me permission but he gave me a blessing to do it and has shared news of the album on his Facebook page and I've found it overwhelmingly kind and yeah I think with which Tim Yatras, he was very kind to let me perform that song and I kept asking him every time we'd play I'd say, like, is that okay to play your song? And, and he would say, yes you don't have to ask me anymore, it's fine to play it so it was just, it was just an excuse to speak to, to someone I really respect, so it was all good
0: yeah, definitely. I, I um, I'm gonna start. Uh, I think he's got. Uh, I think it might be Germ or some other project that's coming out soon. Um, so yeah, I'll definitely start trying to hassle him to get another interview with him when that comes out. <laughs> yeah, he's a he's a really I mean, nice guy. He's
1: such, he's such a he's lovely, and he's and he's just so musically. He's always been like ahead of his time musically, and uh, yeah, he's, he's an absolute inspiration, especially in that sort of black. I think he's that, totally as black gay pioneer. Because he's fused, he's, he's sort of evolved that sound. I think along with Olseth, very much he's done that. And Osteo, I don't think Oxy released anything bad. Everything they released was magic. So yeah.
0: Big mm. here. Mm, definitely, definitely. Um, we're running a little bit short on time, so I'll move to my last question. Um, what have you, what have you been listening to, reading, or watching lately?
1: Um. Uh, today I was listening to Sky Forest and it's a Russian composer and it's really beautiful Um, atmospheric black metal and folk it's the sort of stuff I really I I don't know I just get you can really put it on while I I was doing um, some admin stuff but it's just such lovely sounds I just can get into that soundscape it's not too jarring like but then if I go to the gym, I'll be listening to death metal, or, you know, or whatever, you know, whatever's, whatever's going on, on on metal playlist. And please don't tell you anyone, but I also listen to some gent, awesome. some, uh, what do they used to call it? They used to call it new metal So stuff like that is, is fun too, more for active stuff. But I love the atmospheric black metal stuff. Like um, there's an artist called Unrequited. I've been listening to him a lot and that sort of stuff. I've been listening to a bit of Oathbreaker, but I find that a lot of music, the heavy, the really heavy stuff, I have to be really focused and enjoy, enjoy, you know, every aspect of it. But with the more atmospheric stuff, it's it's really great to fill the space while I'm doing something else, or yeah, just immersive. Mm-hmm.
2: and start
0: Before that, we heard Aphasia, and the first track was Solus Ipsy. They are all from the album by Celdusk, Luna Falls. Thanks again for Emily chatting to me. It's really, really been exciting to kind of tick that one off my list because it's been on there the longest. Before I leave, I want to give you a recommendation for an album to listen to. This one is I'm Losing Myself by a band called... or really a one-man project called An Isolated Mind. You start off listening to it and you think... This is really interesting structure. This is structured really interestingly. It's odd and I can't quite point... (laughs) I can't quite nail down what it is exactly it's doing... Because I don't have the musical training. But you initially think, hey, this is going to kind of be a dissonant death metal thing... Like ulcerate or convulsing. It goes very, very different directions it has a lot of tangents in a way that means it's not quite an album which you would consider like, hey, it's a dissonant death metal, but it does other stuff. No, it's an other stuff album with a little bit of dissonant death metal, kind of technical whateverness in it. It has chamber music, synths, post-rock, ambient. In fact, it finishes with a 20-minute ambient track. It's one of the more interesting albums I've listened to recently, and I really recommend you check it out. I think it'd be worth spinning a few times. Just maybe, <laughs> I, I don't, not sure. I quite understand it yet. I, I definitely like it, but I am not sure I understand. Like, what's going on here? Like, <laughs> why is it so varied in a way that's not like an Opeth album where like they've got lots of prog stuff going on? The kind of there's kind of consistent tone, but this goes in a lot of different directions, and it is interesting to f- see them all pulled off so well. So that's I am losing myself by an isolated mind. Um, if you want to get in touch with me, obviously you can... If you want to get in touch, you can hit me up on social media. OzHunger, Aus that's A-U-S-Hunger on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can also send me an email, AustralianHunger at com. Any comments, questions, thoughts. If you're band and you want an interview, maybe we can set something up. But until next time, thanks for listening. Bye.